Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. That being said, I'm excited to jump into the message today. We are on the final week of a series that we've been calling First. And I don't know about you, but it's definitely challenged me uh, to put God first in my life. And we have been speaking from the book of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25. If you uh, have it, you can open it up and read it with me. If not, you can give your attention on the screens. This has been our theme verse. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I'm going to just hone on this verse until you get it. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. But is it possible? Is it really possible to live a life without worry? Everybody worries. Well, first off, it is possible to live a life without worry because I didn't say feel worry. What I meant was engage worry. It's one thing to feel worried when something happens. That's a natural instinct, but you don't have to engage with that sense of weariness, right? It's one thing to let a bird fly over your head, another to allow that bird to land on your head, make a nest, and lay some eggs. You don't got to live your life that way. Uh, you can be free from that because you're not everybody because not everybody knows the God that you know. And that's what the next verse says in verse 32. For the pagans, a pagan is someone who doesn't know God, they run after all these things, but your heavenly father, you know him, he knows you, and you know that he knows what you need. And he will provide those things for you if, this is kind of where we've been honing on, if you've been able to put God first and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. For the first two weeks, we were really focused on putting God into his proper position based on the proposition that if we put God first in our lives, he will meet all of our needs and he will hold every part of our life together when he's at the center. He'll hold our dreams together our marriages together, our health together, our finances together. If we put him first, he will do that. But we've also been coming to the conclusion that we have a part to play in the providence of our promises. That is that it is not all on God. We have a part in it too in order to bring that promise into fruition. And let me just say, the reason why we have a part isn't because God is unable or incapable of fulfilling his promises by himself. He is. The reason why we have a part is because he was gracious enough to give us one. Because the only thing that God enjoys more than doing things for us is doing things with us. I can tell you that as a father, Liz and I have come to the conclusion, um, I know it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's a big decision. Um, we're going to let the church in on it, you know, in our personal lives. Here's the decision we've come to. Um, we are not having any more children. We have are officially sold all of our baby stuff. We have put it up uh, for sale, on offer up. It is almost all gone. And uh, we are just done. And people say, well, don't, when you see a baby, doesn't that make you want a baby? No. It confirms what the Holy Spirit told me. I don't want to go through that again. It's so much work. Like, our kids are almost there. They are almost independent. All they have to do is learn how to use toilet paper, and we are home free. We are home free. You know, I'm not going back to that. Listen, I enjoy doing stuff 
for them. Don't get me wrong. I didn't mind changing the diapers. And I didn't mind, you know, you know throwing a ball at him and then hitting him in the face because he can't catch. And, and I didn't mind talking to him and singing to him. But our relationship has evolved. Now I can play catch with them because now they're old enough to, to catch it and throw it back. And I can tell you as a father, I much more enjoy doing things with my son than I ever did enjoy doing things for him. And I think if you could talk to him, which you can because he's sitting in the front row, he would tell you that he enjoys doing things with me more than the things I do for him. In fact, recently he had this conversation with my wife. I wasn't there, but it was one of those conversations where, you know, it kind of hurts your feelings as a dad. He was like, mom, how come dad's always working? And, uh, and mom, you know, mom did the right thing. Mom's like, well, do you like food? You know, she said, do you like a roof? Do you like clothes? Daddy has to work so that he can do all those things for you. So you can have all those things. You know what he said? Four years old. He said, well, what if I get a job? He said, can I get a job and I'll, and I'll work so that daddy doesn't have to work? Because, and what's he saying? What he's saying in his four-year-old way is, I appreciate what he's doing for him, but I'd much rather spend time with him. And, I, and, and let me just tell you, if, if you want a genie, the, the Christian God, the God of the Bible is not your God. If you're looking for a genie, it's not here. But if you're looking for a father, if you're looking for somebody who values partnership over presence, if you're looking for somebody who values religion over relationship, if you're looking for somebody who wants to walk with you and not just solve the problems of your life, but grab your hand and walk with you through the ups and downs and the problems of life, if you're looking for that, then God's got that. God is that. He is that. He is a good father who enjoys partnerships. And we see a picture of that partnership in the book of Joshua, chapter 3. That's what we'll turn to today. Joshua, chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. I'll read it, and then I'll give you some background after. The people left their tents to cross the Jordan, led by the priests, carrying the chest of the covenant. Symbolized God's presence. It's a partnership. And when the priests got to the Jordan, now notice this, and their feet touched the water at the edge. Next verse, the, the, now you gotta, he touched the water. The feet touched first the water. The, t- the feet touched first the water, okay? And, and then the, the author takes a second to, to uh, expound a little bit. The Jordan, it says, overflows its banks throughout the harvest. Now, that's significant because, you, you, you know, a river is not like, like, a, like a beach. Like a river, it, there's a sharp drop. And when the, when, the, when the river overflows, you don't know what you're stepping into. You could be stepping into just water that has overflowed, or you could be stepping into a seven-foot chasm, and you're not sure. But they stepped. They stepped. And, here, and here's what it says. The flow of water stopped. It piled up in a heap, and the people crossed over facing Jericho. It makes sense to me looking forward um, tomorrow, Monday, also the brand new day after our 21 days of fast. Also, we're coming to the end of January, and February is about to happen. And everybody know January, that's just a practice month. That's just, that's just a practice month, guys. You know when like, you're losing at a game, and then when the game's over, you're like, that was a practice round? That's January. So don't worry about January. January is just a practice round. It's really getting started in February. A lot of people have asked me, where do I go from here? What do I do? So it made sense to title this message, Your First Step. Your First Step, because I'm going to tell you that today, your first step. If the image of water stepping on the tips of its toes seems vaguely familiar to you, it's because it should. Forty years earlier, the exact same thing, or at least it seems like the exact same thing, happens to the Israelites. They're about to leave Egypt, and so they, 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 they get to the edge of the Red Sea, and the Bible says that, that God 
split the Red Sea and the people walk through the Red Sea. In fact, these instances are bookends of the same journey. One is the beginning of a journey and the other is the end. And I want to read to you really quickly what happened there just in case you've never heard it before or you've forgotten it. Exodus 14, 21 through 22. Here's how it goes. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, but notice who does the miracle. And God, with a terrific east wind, all night long made the sea go back. He made the sea dry ground. The seawater split. The Israelites walked through the sea on what? On dry ground. With the waters, a wall to the right and a wall to the left. Now, while the stories seem quite similar, in reality, they're not. Yes, both miracles are miracles. Yes, yes, both miracles are amazing. Yes, both miracles are an example of God making a way where there is no way, which is what God does, by the way. But where they differ is in one key detail. Where they differ is in what comes first. Because at the Red Sea, God makes a way first, then the people walk through. Which is cool, because God does do that. We have a word for that in Christianity, in fact. It's called favor. Have you ever heard this? It's called faith. It's when things happen in your life that you had no hand in. It's when things happen in your life that you weren't even looking. It's like somebody calls you up and says, hey, I got a job opportunity for you making $70,000 a year. And you weren't even asking. And you're like, yes, please, Jesus. I'm going to take that. Okay? It's when you're, favor is when you're, when you're, when you're waiting at the Chick-fil-A line and, you're, and, you're, and it's your turn to order and you place your order. And, and as soon as you place your order, the person comes behind the counter and says, John, John, no, John, sir. Somebody ordered an ice cream, but we can't find him. Would you like this ice cream? Yes, Shama, Jesus made a way in the desert. Give me that ice cream. I wasn't going to make, I didn't have money for the ice cream. I didn't want to spend the calories, but this is obviously the Lord's will right here. So who am I to say no to the favor? Of God. Yes. Amen. God works like that. Raise your hand if God's ever worked like that in some way in your life. Amen. Look around. If you don't believe it, look around. God has. But, 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 but let me tell you, it doesn't happen often. God works like that, but it's not his default method of behavior. God works like that, but not a lot of times is he going to work like that, evidenced by the amount of times you've opened up your bank account and said to yourself, whoa, where did that $1,000 come from? Uh, never. Because... <laughs> Because it don't happen like that. Because God, God works like that, but he doesn't really work like that. It's, it's more of an exception than it is the rule. He'll do it, but he doesn't do it, if, you, if you're following me. However, the way it happens in Joshua's story is much different. Because in Joshua's story, remember I emphasized it, what happens first? He steps in the water, then God makes a way. And this is more often the way that God will work in your life. He's got the miracle waiting. He's got the promise prepared, but he's waiting to see if you trust him enough to take the first step. And if you show him that you trust him enough to take the first step, then he will honor your trust by then doing the water. That's what he does. And so allow me to summarize my sermon in a sentence and a question. Are you waiting on God to move or is God waiting on you? Are you waiting on God to move? Or is God waiting on you? Because you can only hold on to a dream for so long until it becomes a nightmare. You can only hold on to a promise for so long until that promise begins to apply pressure. And I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, maybe it's time to dive into a river that you've been waiting on God to divide. 
maybe instead of standing on one side of the river saying, in the name of Jesus, split, God's like, bro, jump in. I got you. Dive into it and watch me do what only I can do. You dive, I'll divide. But don't wait on me to divide in order for you to move. That's how it works, guys. Peter jumped out the boat first, and then he started walking on water. That's what made it a miracle. It would not have been so miraculous if he started floating in the boat. Imagine that. Peter's just like, whoa. Peace out, guys. I'm going for it. No. He jumped out the boat, and then God held him up with his righteous right hand. David did it. David, David grabbed the sling and the stone, and he threw it first. And then when he threw it, that was when he, that took a lot of faith to throw it. My uncle used to tell me, before you get in a fight, make sure two things. Make sure you hit first. No, he said, make sure you swing first and make sure you hit first. Because if either one of those things happens out of order, if you don't swing and he swings first, you out. But if you swing and you miss, <laughs> you out. <laughs> so he used to tell me, he said, so, so you better, you better. So when he grabbed that stone, there was no turning back. He said, I'm going to throw it. And while that stone is in midair, he's thinking, Jesus, don't fail me now. He, he slung first. And then, and then he waited. All right? And, 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 and that's why the Israelites had a problem. Listen, it took 40 years for the Israelites to understand that lesson. Because when they were delivered from the Red Sea, they left. You know, they didn't have to do anything. Their entire story of freedom was, a story, was God's story. They didn't make the Nile turn red. They didn't bring a plague of frogs. They didn't bring a plague of, fog, a, a plague of locusts. They didn't, they didn't make darkness shine over Egypt. They didn't kill the firstborn animal, child all over Egypt. God did all those things. They get to the Red Sea. They didn't have to step into the water. The, red, the, water, the water split. And so here's the problem. They leave Egypt stepping into the desert with a sense of freedom, but also a sense of entitlement. You know about entitlement, don't you? You should. It's a human issue. It's exasperated in this generation, but it is not a generational issue. You know, it's exasperated because we are the participation trophy generation where you get a reward for being you. Congratulations. You're special. You didn't win one game, but you're special. Here you go. And that's a problem because entitlement looks like different things in different places. You go to work, you feel entitled. So when your work doesn't stand up to performance and your boss gets on, you get upset. Excuse me, don't get on me. Don't you know? I'm special. And your boss can care less about the fact that you're special. He wants to hit your quota. That's what he wants. But my mom said I'm special. No, no, no. Your mom was a liar, okay? We're all human beings who do not get on, live on by the basis of, our, of who we are. That might have a work with God, but with, with, with people, you got to do it. it. It's that way in school a lot of times. So those of us who are still in school or in college, hey, can I get an extension on my paper? No. Nobody else got an extension on their paper, but not everybody else is me. Let me show you my second grade participation trophy. Do you think they just hand these things out? Uh, yeah, they do. We see it happen in our relationships. And, and, and that's the thing, because a lot of our, of, of, our, of our older journey family of a different generation will say, oh, this generation is so entitled. But you got to be careful, because I'll tell you what, the longer you get married, the more you feel entitled as well. You've been married for 25 years. Now she's opening her own door to get in the car. Well, doesn't she know we've been married 25 years? You know how many people could live with this woman for 25 years? I am special. But so is she. And if you stop showing her that you love her, she's going to forget it and try and find it somewhere else. We got to be careful. Entitlement looks different. For the Israelites, entitlement looked like them standing in the desert and then saying, I'm thirsty. 
Where's that water at? I'm hungry. Where's that food at? And God's like, um, excuse me? And they begin to complain. Which, by the way, if you want a quick measurement of how entitled you are, how often do you complain? Because the frequency of your complaints is directly correlated to the intensity of your entitlement. Frequently, it's just right there. So the more you complain, the more entitled you are. That's how it works. That's how it works. I'm just going to help you out. And that's why somebody's looking at you right now um, next to you. That's how it works, okay? Um, but the irony is, of course, they're complaining, but not once in the book of Exodus do you see them dig a well. Where's my water at, God? And God's like, he's a shovel. Dig a well, bro, and I'll, and I'll spring water forth. Nuh-uh. I want it like you did there. Uh, God, I'm hungry. Not once in the story do you ever see them go hunting or planting gardens or vineyards. They expected God to do everything for them. And then, they, and then God finally gets fed up with them. They get at the, at the edge. They get at the edge of the promised land. And there's giants over there on the edge of the promised land. And they go, ooh, mm-mm. They're big, God. This is what they got. We can't fight them. They'll kill us. Can you kill them for us? Can you kill them for us? And God says, mm-mm, I can't do it. No more. Uh-uh. I'm sorry, guys. We're going to have to stay here until you get this lesson. I didn't mind when you didn't want to dig a well. I brought water from a rock. He did that. I didn't mind when you didn't want to go hunting. I'll, I'll send quail from the east wind into the front of your doorstep. So you can literally just pick up. It's like, it's like Amazon Prime, like right there. Just You don't want to go shopping? That's fine. I'm going to bring the quail right to your front door. You grab the quail. You eat the quail. That's fine. But now you don't want to fight? I'm sorry. I can't let you get away with that because if I teach you that you can get through and life without fighting, it will handicap you for the rest of your life. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Listen to me. Don't expect every giant in your life to die of a heart attack. But that's what we expect. God, can you just in the name of, ah, praise the Lord. No, that's not how it works. You swing, I slay. You throw, I blow. You prepare, I perform. That's how it works. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. Don't expect me to to, to, to a heart attack or a stroke and every giant. No, you got to fight those giants, people. That's how it works. It took 40 years for them to learn it. When they finally learned it, they learned it. That's why when God said, all right, it's time to go into the promised land, they grabbed everything that they want and they ran. We're going, we're going, we're going. Hey, get your stuff. He said, it's time to go. Let's go, let's go. You know why? Because they learned. They learned that you can never allow what God does for you to put you in a position where God is waiting for you. Never allow what God does for you to put you in a position where God is waiting for you. You got to move. You got to move. You got to move. You got to move. This is the opposite of entitlement. This is called initiative. And it's God preparing the promise for you, but you trusting him enough to step in to that promise. Initiative is knowing the direction that God wants you to take and you willing, being willing to take the step in that direction no matter how big or how small. In fact, as I begin to talk to you about your first step, let me tell you something about your first step. Your first step is often small. Your first step is often a small step. You need to know that, okay? Um, think about Jesus' life for just a moment. For 30 years... He was doing nothing. At least it seems that way. Imagine all the people in his life who thought, ooh, what a bust. What happened to all those prophecies that we gave Jesus? Where are they at now? What happened to all these things about him becoming a king of kings? And the, Where's all that now? 
Remember when he was teaching the, the rabbis in the school when he was 12 years old? And then he becomes a, a dropout? You know that. Jesus was a school dropout. Don't, do, don't you dare drop out of school. If you're here in high school right now, so Jesus was dropping out. Just don't you do it. Jesus did it. God talked to him. How do we know that? What am I talking about? If, if when you were growing up in Hebrew culture, if you showed some, some signs of really being good at the scriptures, you would stay and you would grow up to become a rabbi. But at some point, Jesus says, but my job is not just to be a teacher. I'm also a repairer and a restorer. So I got to kind of switch professions here and I got to go be a carpenter. You know, and it's, and it's funny because, you know, Mary's probably freaking out. She's thinking, oh, my gosh, you just dropped out of rabbi school. To be a carpenter, just like your father, I did not want you to end up just like your father. That's <laughs> what she's thinking. We don't even see him in the Bible anymore. I don't know what happens to him. So please don't end up like your father. And everybody's freaking out. You saw who's not freaking out? Jesus isn't freaking out. Because he says, you know what? I'm actually leaving to become like my father. Because he knew who his father was, and he knew who he was. And if you could tell Mary, he couldn't let her know then, but I'm sure in heaven they're having a conversation now. They said, Mary, I know it looked like I was doing nothing, but the truth is it was just 30 years of small steps. Because if I had done it as a baby, if I had come as a grown man, if I had come in all my glory, I'd have set a false image of what Christianity is for you, that we win this battle in leaps and bounds, but we do not win this battle in leaps and bounds. We win this battle in steps and shrugs and moves and slides and inches and inches. That's how we win the battle. I had to, I had to, I had to show that to you. And if Jesus did not delight in every single step that he took, let me tell you, he wouldn't have made the big leaps on Calvary that he did. He, didn't, he, he wouldn't have been able to do it. You got to learn to appreciate it. This is what the Bible says in Psalms 37, 23. Read these verses with me. Look, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Do you delight in the details of your life? Or are you waiting on God to do the big things? When there's already things going on that are bringing him glory and praise and joy, and you too, if you would just stop comparing yourself, that's the whole of the sermon, to what it looks like of the leaps that other people are taking. But what you don't understand is that what looks like a leap on Instagram was actually years of small steps. I ain't going to go there. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices, not content, he rejoices to see the work begin. You got to learn to celebrate the small stuff in your life and the small steps in your life because he's God the Father. And that's what fathers and mothers do. They celebrate even the small steps. You know the babies when they're babies and, and they take a step and, oh my, oh my gosh. Raise your hand if you're a mom or dad of an infant, like of an infant, raise your hand. Yeah, you got an infant. I see that hand. Raise your hand if you're an infant. You got like a little baby. Okay. Go easy on Facebook. Okay. We get it. Your child can stand. whoop de doo I've been standing for the last 25 minutes. Nobody's throwing me a parade, okay? I'm just saying, the stuff that parents celebrate on Facebook for their baby, he ate his vegetables today. So what? He took a step today. I took 300 steps today. Can I post that on Facebook? Woo! You know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but, but parents do it, and they do it all the time. Why? Because they don't care what you think. They're proud of their child, and they're proud. So why do you care what other people think when your father in heaven is looking at you and all your small steps thinking, that's my baby. That's my boy. That's my girl. Hey, you've been sober five days? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. You've been sober five days. Hey, you finished your three-day Bible reading plan? Don't let nobody knock your three-day Bible reading plan. Way to go on your three-day Bible reading plan. We got to celebrate that. You've been praying for five minutes every day for the last week? Come on, that's five minutes. That's five minutes more than 90% of the, of the world. Come on, celebrate. you got to learn to give God praise. You fasted 21 days? Celebrate. 
Some of y'all are like, well, actually. <laughs> Some of like, well, what happened? That was, uh, fell in my mouth. I wasn't even trying. It just, it just fell in my mouth. So what? So you tried to fast 21 days. You know what I'm saying? Celebrate something. We got to give God glory for the small steps because if we don't, we're never going to end up in the place that we want to go thinking we're Superman trying to make it in leaps and bounds. Don't happen like that. Small steps, we got to celebrate them. Small step is often, the first step is often a small step. Also, the first step is often a faith step. Step of faith. I want to read to you a story from, from Abraham, uh, coming, yeah, of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Look at this. Look what he says. And he went out, look at these steps, not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. Can I tell you, if you feel like you don't know where you're going in life, you are in good company. I'm going to just free you up right now. Because some people are upset they don't have the 25-year plan of their life. Well, neither did Abraham. But he took it. One Step at a time. Not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Guys, this is the crux of what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that God has a promised land waiting for you that he's just waiting for you to step into. And it's okay if you don't know what that promise is, and it's okay if you don't know where that promise is, as long as you live every day with an intentionality that takes a step towards the promise. God does not often speak to us in destinations, but he will always speak to us in directions. He won't always tell you, you know, you know, it's right here where I want you, but he'll say northeast, head northeast. You know, start, start living right. You know, start coming to church every Sunday. Start fasting. Start tithing. Start praying. Get around good people. Join a small group. And all those things look like they're not significant, but let me zoom out for a little bit. There are steps, you see? There are steps that are taking you to that place. And then when you get there, I was talking to somebody in kids right now. She's like, God just answered me in the most crazy way. He told me exactly the job that I'm supposed to have. I start in like 15 days. It's amazing. It's the salary that I want. It's the hours that I want. Does God normally do like do that? And I said, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 no, 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 no. So I want to encourage you real quick. But what I want to hear about is what you've been doing the last two years. She said, well, I've been coming to church. I've been serving in kids' ministry faithfully because I've seen her. Yeah? How about the fast? I fast. I was fasting social media. Awesome. You've been tithing? Just started tithing? Awesome. Yes, God speaks in specifics, but what you just experienced is not the product of one prayer that God answered. It's the product of two years of faithfulness and little steps, little steps, little steps, little steps, little steps, little steps. And then when you got there, you were like, wow, God's real specific. Oh. Tell that to the two-year virgins. Tell that to the you two years ago because she's freaking out right now. And if the two years from you could talk to the two years to you now, he would tell you, it's not, a, it's, it, it, it's not an ending. It's a step. That's what he'd say. That's what she'd say. He'd say, it's not over. It's just a step. That's what they say. Say, it's not a depression. It's just a step. It's just a step. That's what they say. They say, you didn't get fired. It was just a step. It was just a step. It's what they say. They say, you didn't, you didn't break up. It was a step, and it was a needed one, but it was a step, and you got it, and you got that. Don't worry about it. It was just a step. It was just a step. He would talk about the, the couple right now that said that his marriage is on the verge, verge of breaking up, and he'd say, it was just a step. 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 So you got to have the faith take that step. People have a bad image of faith, and so I'm going to illustrate something that will help make a step more clear. I'm going to ask Josue to come out, our trusty uh, stage hand man, and, uh, and I'm going to uh, 
show you exactly what it means to be led by God in faith. Because a lot of people have a, a bad description of what led by God means. Oh, yeah, there we go. About what led by God means, you know. And, uh, and they don't understand faith. So I'm going to give you a picture of faith. I'm going to give you a picture of being led by God. All right? So you can take the first step uh, in February or tomorrow. Okay. This is, a, this is my son Zane's book bag right here. All right? Now, this might look like a book bag, but it's not. not actually a book bag. It only look, it's supposed to look like that so parents don't feel ashamed when they do this. <laughs> How many people have seen the kid leash? Come on. You've seen it. I don't know who to feel worse for, the child or the parent or me for having to witness it. But you know this thing. We, I used to get on parents all the time and then I had kids and I'm like, I need three pair. I need three pair. All right? Now, I want to show you this because a lot of people think that when it comes to being led by God or having a relationship with God or living a life of faith, that this is what it looks like. God is in control, you know? And uh, obviously, this isn't very appealing, and, and this isn't something... Instinctively, there's something that, that checks us in our spirit, like, no, that's not right. And, and you're right. It's not right. So we have two images of faith. One is of uh, God's in charge. Now, God is in charge. Let me finish my thought. Okay, so this is one image of faith. This is faith. Why is this faith? This doesn't look like faith. Because some people's idea of faith is that God is sovereign, and so it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. I have faith that God is in control. How many people have ever heard that? God is in control. God is in control. Mind you, he, he don't want to go that way. He wants to go that way. But no, God is in control. This is faith. I have faith. It doesn't matter how many relationships I end. God is in control. I end up with the right. It doesn't matter, you know, how, how high I get. God's in control. It don't matter. God's in control. He's sovereign. I got the faith. Bro, you're living a terrible lifestyle. You're going to die at a young age. God's in control. I got faith. I got faith. You probably shouldn't get behind the wheel of a car if you're drunk. I got faith. I got faith. God's in control. <laughs> The, the, the problem is this isn't how faith works because faith is predicated on relationship and God doesn't really care the direction that your steps are going if the direction of your heart is going in the opposite one. So if God is pulling you this way, but your heart is going that way, that's not faith, that's religion. That's religion. And this is what God would rather do. God would rather just say, hey, just go your way, man. And come with me when you're ready. That's what God would rather do. That's one image of faith. Another image of faith is this is the name and claim it movement. This is the super faith movement. Go ahead. In the name of Jesus, he said, ooh. Go ahead. Go, go. Sight? Say, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Give me that house. Give me that house. Psych? Come on, tell him, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Give me that Mercedes. Give me that Mercedes. <laughs> Toyota. You know what I'm saying? That's how God works. That's how God works. You see, faith is not God pulling you, but faith also isn't you pulling God. But some people think if I believe hard enough, if my faith is high enough, I can get God to go along with my plan. Follow my plan, God. Don't you want me to be happy? Follow my plan. God's like, no, 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 no. If this house is going to be, I'd rather just let you go. And you come back when you're ready. This is not faith. I'll tell you what faith is. Faith is putting the leash down. And this is how I knew justice was ready. 
I mean, we never did the, the leash with him, but we did do the stroller. You sit him in the stroller, and then as soon as he gets in there, you wrap him up like an insane asylum patient. Four seatbelts, five seatbelts, you're not going nowhere, son. You know? We used to go to Disney like that. He'd just be strapped in the stroller, I'm going nowhere. This is how I knew. This is how I knew he was ready. Because one day I let him out the stroller, and he started going his way. But there was, there was a, another stroller that was coming, it was about to hit him. And I said, Justice. So I want you to walk, and I'm going to say, Justice, you. Justice. Come here. And when I, when, 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 I, when I found out that he had the ability, and I hope this resonates with you the way God showed it to me, to recognize my voice and obey my word, I said, now we're ready. I'm going to take off the leash. It's time to walk this walk of faith out together. Faith is you hearing the word of God and then obeying the word of God as the word tells. That's faith. Because the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Paul said in Corinthians. The author of Hebrews said it differently. I like the way he said it almost even better. He said the righteous shall live by faith and faith comes through hearing the word of God. David said, your word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He said, I, I, don't, I don't go where I want to go and I don't go somewhere just because I think you might want me to go there. I'm going to wait for your word and when you give me the word, I'm going to follow. So you see, Josue, he's waiting for me to give him the word. Now it's time to go, Josue. Now we can go because this is what God wants to do. He doesn't want to be ahead of you or behind you. He wants to walk with you in life. He wants to have an intimate relationship where he, where he realizes you're here because you want to be here. You're here because you love me me. You're here because you, you want to do this thing together. We're walking this out. And here's what I love about this relationship. Why'd you stop walking? Because you stopped walking. Because I'd rather wait with God than go on without him. And sometimes, this is a word for somebody, and sometimes the biggest step of faith is standing still. Until God says, go. Faith. That's real faith. Thank you. That's real faith. That's real faith. And when you have faith, faith will give you, listen to me, the ability to get out of it, the ability to get over it, and the ability to get on with it. That's what happened in the life of the Israelites. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. We're going to close here. When the priests got to the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the Jordan overflows its banks through the heart throughout the harvest. The flow of water stopped. It piled up in a heap and the people crossed over facing Jericho. Listen, they were able to get out of the desert, their past. They were able to get over the indecision of their present and they were able to get on with their destiny that is in the future. They were able to get out, get over and get on. I love it. Man, but I want God to do a Red Sea thing with me. I want God to do a Red Sea thing. Open the way and then I'll go, God. No. That was deliverance. When the people came out of Egypt, that was deliverance. God will always do deliverance for you because you're not strong enough to save yourself. But the Jordan doesn't symbolize deliverance. The Jordan symbolizes destiny because on the other side of it was Jericho, which was the beginning of the promised land that they were to inherit. What am I trying to say? God will do deliverance for you, but he chooses to do destiny with you. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. That's what he wants to do in your life. And when they get there, they see Jericho. Another battle to fight? Just got out of this 40-year one. Another battle to fight? No. That's not what they were thinking. You know what they were thinking? Another victory to win. Why? 
Because the moment they get there, ooh, come on, Jesus knows how to write a book. Jesus knows how to tell a story. You couldn't make this stuff up. It's so good. The moment they get to the other side, here's the first instructions from Joshua, the new leader. Hey, you see Jericho? How are we going to fight that fight, God? We're going to throw arrows at it? Nope. How are we going to attack Jericho, God? Are we going to get our, 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 our big old cannonballs, let them on fire, and, and shoot that? Are we going to do that? Nope. How are we going to make Jericho fall, God? Are we going to do it with our arrows? Nope. How are we going to do it? I'll tell you how. Single file line, everybody. Ready, set. This is how they do it. Walk. Woo. And then they start stepping around Jericho. And you know, in their mind, it makes perfect sense. They're like, yep, that makes sense. That sounds like God. That's what we've been doing for the last 40 years, taking steps. Somebody's going to keep on stepping. He's going to keep on stepping. He's going to keep on stepping. Was that enough? No, I want you to do it once a day for six days. Okay. I'll step. And I'll step. And I'll step. And I can imagine the youngest person in that line, maybe the one who was kind of born in that 40-year period, maybe saying, hey, man, how long are we going to step, man? How is stepping going to bring the wall down? How is stepping going to bring the wall down? And somebody who's been like an OG, like he looked at him and he goes, no, 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 no. Our job isn't to bring the wall down. Our job is to step. Don't worry about the wall. Just keep stepping. But, but, but those, those archers up there, don't worry about the archers. Just keep stepping. Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Beth Matthew, do not worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Hey, how's God going to pay them bills? I don't know. My job isn't to pay them bills. My job is to keep stepping. I'm going to keep stepping in obedience, and God is going to provide those bills. Hey, am I going to make the team? I don't know if you're going to make the team, but your job isn't to make the team. Your job is to practice. Keep taking steps, step after step after step, and let God do the, the miracle in your life. Hey, I'm still single. When is God going to bring you that one? It isn't your job to find the spouse. God will bring you the spouse. You just keep taking steps. You just keep taking steps. You just keep taking steps. How am I going to grow the business? Don't worry about growing your business. Just take steps. Just take steps. Guys, we got the easy job. All we got to do is take steps. He's the one that brings the wall down. He's the one that knocks Goliath on his butt. He's the one that does the miracle. He's the one that raises the dead. He doesn't ask us to be miraculous. He asks us to be faithful. He doesn't ask us to be miraculous. He asks us to march, just 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 march. There are people in church this morning who are stressing out and freaking out because the wall's still up. And I got a word from God for your soul. He's telling you, I know the wall's up. I'm going to take care of the wall. Get your eyes off the wall. Get your eyes on me. Get your eyes on me. Take a step, just step, and I will get you out of it, over it, and on with it. Is there anybody today who's willing to take a step? Just a step, just a step, y'all. But I'm making minimum wage working at Tropical Smoothie. It's a step, girl. It's a step. Be just stepping, just keep stepping. He got you. He got you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you need the faith to rise up inside of you to take the next step, because maybe the last couple ones have been kind of hard, I want to encourage you. Right now, you feel the Holy Spirit already speaking to you, ministering to you. He's saying, hey, I'm willing to take that step with you. 
You don't have to take that step alone. I'm willing to walk with you. Just give me an opportunity. I don't want to do this for you, God says. You're praying for me to do it for you. I don't want to do it for you. I want to do it with you. I want to do it with you. Hear the voice of the Lord today. I want to do it with you. Invite me into your business. Invite me into your marriage. Invite me into your relationships. Invite me into your career. Invite me into your career path. Invite me into your college degree. I want to do this with you. Just take the next step. Guys, you're winning. If your head is bowed, you're praying, listen to me. You're winning because the devil hasn't convinced you to stop stepping. You're winning because the devil has not convinced you to stop stepping. As long as you keep stepping, you are winning. You are victorious. The battle is already won if you just keep stepping. So right now where you are, would you make that prayer personal and just tell the Lord, I'm going to take that step, God. Tell him, I'm going to take that step, whatever that looks like. I'm going to take that step. Tell him, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to take that step, God. Holy Spirit's ministering to you right now. Tell him, I'm going to take that step, Holy Spirit. Lead me. Give me your voice. Give me your word. And I will follow. And I will follow. And I will follow. I'm going to take that step. Amen. Amen. I ask the ushers to get into place. If you're here today, and maybe you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, maybe as I talk about that leash illustration, you know what? I've always thought God was that, pulling me and dragging me. He's not. He wants to walk with you step in step. If you want a relationship like that today with Jesus Christ, here's your opportunity. I'm going to ask for a moment of privacy once again, church. And so if you would please once again just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you want to make that commitment, you say, yes, me. I need to take the first step. Your first step, listen, is inviting Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. That's your first step. So when I say three, if you want to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life and start afresh, on three, lift up your right hand as a signal. Yes, it starts new today. One, two, three, all over this building right now. I see your hand. I see it. 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 Come on. The Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus right now. You feel it in your heart. He wants more. And today's a new day, a new beginning. Amen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Amen. Hey, if you lift up your hand, you can put your hand back down. Church, let's pray this prayer together. Father God, I give you my life. Today I take the first step in a relationship with you. Forgive me. Let tomorrow be a new day. Today be a new day. I accept you. I believe in you. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's that easy. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, everybody, and give a hand clap of praise for the 10 or 11 people that made a decision. Come on. They made a decision to come back home to Jesus today. That's a victory. That's a victory so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.